0: Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's Providence POV. Joe and Peter here. It's currently Thursday, January 11th. You'll be listening to this Friday morning of the 12th. Providence loses, uh, I don't want to call it a heartbreaker, but loses a tough one to St. John's at the Garden last night. Peter and I were both in attendance. Uh, that lost caps a three-game losing streak that started against Seton Hall about a week ago, the same night that Bryce Hopkins went down with his season-ending ACL injury. Um, a couple other things to talk about today, a big commitment in Friartown and what the road ahead looks like. But, Peter, even though I saw you last night, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's always fun to obviously hop on and obviously talk province Basketball with you even after a loss. And, mm-hmm. Well, we're in a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a turmoil here, right? Three in a row. Obviously you said Seen Hall, uh, Creighton, and then the Johnnies last night at the Garden. It was fun to obviously be at the game. It's always fun to be go to the Garden. It's always fun to watch Big East basketball, especially the Friars live. But no, the Fires are in a bit of a bit turmoil here. Obviously we'll break it down, but we did get some good news today. And I know you're going to touch on that in a second, but we did get a big time recruit. Uh, eventually we'll be coming to Firetown. So a little bit of... Some good news today, but we have a lot to talk about definitely with where the season stands uh, early or almost halfway through January.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to touch on, um, but we're going to start on a positive note here uh, at four o'clock this afternoon. I'm, I'm going to butcher this name, Oswin Arunsi. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's how Adam Finkelstein pronounced it in his live stream. Um, we're just going to call him Oswin for now. Oswin Big uh, five-star recruit, uh, number 19, according to uh, On3, uh, committed to Providence, class of 2025. There are rumors that he will reclass uh, to 2024, but nothing has been actually confirmed yet. Uh, A source close to Oswin came out on Twitter and responded to Bill Koch uh, from Rhode Island and said that nothing has been confirmed. So as it stands... Class of 2025, he is number 19, according to On3, a huge, huge, huge addition for Kim English and this Providence squad going forward, Um, and basically puts to bed the argument that you can't land big-time recruits at Providence. Uh, Maybe the last guy couldn't land big-time recruits here, but Kim English certainly can. So huge news out out of Friartown this afternoon. It's a nice little pick-me-up after, you know, the loss yesterday evening.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Uh, It was kind of expected the last couple of days. Uh, On three, has met the 19th overall player, the number two center in the country. And obviously, it's it's speculated for a little bit that he was committing to the 2024 class, which means he he would be on campus next fall. Obviously, nothing has been confirmed yet. Obviously, rumors are swirling. What uh, left and right with 2024, 2025, and obviously there's a lot more details behind the scenes. Uh, when you, when you are reclassing, uh, and it's obviously not just set, it's not as simple as just saying I'm reclassing. Obviously, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Um, but no, it's a huge recruit, it's a huge pickup, and obviously the 2024 class at the moment is kind of light just because of the DaQuan Davis decommit. Kim English just being on campus. kind of usually expect that when you get new coaches. The first class is a little interesting. He's trying to get his footing. Uh, But so far, the 2025 class, maybe the 2024 class is off with a bang. And obviously, there's a couple more commits or recruits at the moment that they're very high on. Uh, And this is a roster that is in desperate need of centers. Uh, Now, right now, probably as well, but definitely down the road. They're definitely down the road. They're definitely in the need for centers, not even just in 2025, but 2024 class. So it's a good day uh, outside of yesterday being a crappy day. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good pickup. Every time you get a guy that's top 20, I know 24-7 uh, industry ranking has him at 24. On three has him at 19. Rivals has him at 16. Anytime you get a consensus top 25 guy in the class, you're never going to complain.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Huge pick-me-up, you know, especially after what's gone on recently in Friartown. Um, And great point on, you know, the roster is going to look a a lot different next season, you know. And I think uh, one of the main reasons for that is Devin Carter is likely not going to be playing college basketball next year. He'll be in the NBA. Uh, He continues to look like an All-American. Last night, now we're transitioning here into the game. He led all scorers with 31 points, 13 rebounds, and four steals. He was uh, a a man amongst boys last night. He was uh, absolutely incredible. It was even better that we got to watch him in person. Um, and, you know, just keeping with the positivity. But before we start decompensating here, Peter,
1: <laughs> Devin
0: Carter, how important was he last night, and how important is he going forward?
1: I, I think it's a pretty easy question. He's very
0: important.
1: Not to say the question stunk or anything, but uh, it's, no, he's very important. He was very important last night. He's the reason we were in the game and had a chance to eventually win the game, which I don't think most people expected last night At how's the game, how the game was going. And obviously, he is our anchor. Uh, if the Friars want to get back on track this season, it's going to be have to be him. The problem is he probably played his best game. Maybe his best game as a fryer. maybe outside of his, the free throw shooting. Um, besides mm-hmm. that, he played one of his best games as a fryer, and we did end up losing. So it's – look, we could talk about how good Devin Carter is, and he is great, and he's going to have to do that, not 31 points on a nightly basis uh, because that's a little unrealistic most of the times. But him being a great player, obviously it's going to have to continue if the Friars want to get back on track. But it's also probably – the Better question, the better topic is the outside, the players around him. But last night, Devin Carter was he was terrific, he was doing everything, he was defending, he had a high motor, uh, 13 rebounds, you know, uh, only two assists, but he's not much of a point guard at the moment. Uh, because I thought Pierre had one of his we'll get to Pierre obviously, but Pierre had had one of his better games as a fire, which was much needed. But no, Devin Carter was great, he was the best player. On the court, even Rick Pitino agrees he was the best player between both of those teams. He might be the best guard in the Big East, and I don't think that's an overstatement. You could argue other players, of course. Obviously, the Big East is loaded with uh, talent, but no, Devin Carter's is great. I think we know that, and I agree. Like it's, we're probably getting to the point if he continues on this trend of him probably not being in a Providence Friar uniform next year. But for his personal sake, that's not a bad thing for him.
0: Yeah, uh, I like what you said too. I. Up until this point in conference play, Devin Carter has been the single best backcourt player in the Big East, second to none, um, and that includes Tyler Kolick, who has sucked recently. I don't know if anybody caught the end of the Butler Marquette game last night, yeah. but he was one for ten or one from eleven from the field with two points, uh, which you know echoed the you know performance that he had at Seton Hall. Maybe if he spent less time chirping fans before the game and actually focusing on playing, he could actually play better. But anyway, I digress. Devin Carter is right now and has been the best guard in the conference. It's just like you said, Peter. It's a shame that the 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 highlight performance of his season came in a loss. Uh, You know, it's one silver lining of a few that come out of last night. But you know, all in all, that was a winnable game without Bryce Hopkins and we still lost. Uh for me, one of the one of the biggest things, one of the biggest takeaways is the slow start, right? Like you come mm-hmm. out and you spotted St. John's a 15-point lead. Yeah. You, you, you just can't do that. You know, you can't go down 20 to 5 in the first half and expect to win the game. Especially against a team like St. John's that is playing really well. Their only loss of conference play so far is expectedly to Yukon. So this is a St. John's team that is starting to click. They've got the right guy in the coach's seat to get them to where they want to be, and they came out of the gate fast. and We spotted them a healthy lead early on in the first half.
1: Yeah, Joe, it's it's unfortunate how they started, and obviously they spotted. Obviously, it wasn't in the beginning of the game, but they did it to Creighton. Like they were down 18. Yeah, Creighton on the road. Like he, even with Bryce Hopkins, right? Like you you can't go down 20 to five. Like that just is is unacceptable it's just doesn't change that no no you're down 20 to 5 it's a problem because one you're on a road uh two you obviously don't have the firepower that you once did offensively to get back in games your defense is not as good as it once was which is probably less talked about than i think it should be um Mm -hmm. that that's starting to become a bit of an issue right like you're it's it's started starting to become a problem right you're down 15 and basically from that point in order to win the game You have to play almost a nearly perfect game. We're also lucky that St. John's started falling apart in the second half towards the end. But what was also frustrating, right, we take a one-point lead. We put everything into coming back into that game in the second half, right? And then all of a sudden, the offense goes on their typical lull of not scoring for a couple minutes, right? And then then they don't defend. And then they're down eight, and you're like – you're down 10. You're like, weren't we just up one three minutes ago? Like the offense – somehow has to find a way in the beginning of the game, Joe, or at any point of the game to get away from their lulls. And I get it. You're not going to score every possession. That's not a realistic uh, statue to go to, but you cannot go on these droughts like every game because you're going to find yourselves in deficits that you can't get out of. And they did that again. They did it in the beginning of the game and then they did it when they took a lead. People, I think we gotta yep. forget that we took a lead in this game in the second half, and you ha- you didn't have to play perfect from there on out. from there on out. You just didn't have to play. You had to play complimentary basketball, and you didn't. And then you kind of got yourself in a hole, and then you battled back again.
0: Right. No, you're, you're exactly right, Peter. And what's kind of alarming too, um, and this will probably be my first, you know, official knock on Kim English is. Saint John's goes on a 13-2 run after Providence takes the lead and only then does Kim call the timeout. Uh to by comparison, last night Butler went and took a 7-point lead. I think it was 47-40 over Marquette and Shaka Smart immediately called the timeout. 7 points. Saint John's goes on a 13-2 run and mm-hmm. only then does Kim call the timeout and I'm not a head coach, so there there could be more behind that. And I'm not claiming to be a head coach, but from a fan's perspective, that's way too long because now the momentum has entirely shifted. St. John's has a double-digit lead, and the crowd that was, you know, I think it was a pretty evenly split crowd, but the crowd that was in favor of Providence is now quieted to the St. John's fans. So it it was a momentum-shifting turn of events in the second half. And like you said, Peter, like, it's like, it's almost like we got the lead and then we, we just, we took our foot off the gas on both ends of the floor. So I don't, I, I can't really explain why, but it's something that you hate to see. And it's uh, was probably even more frustrating than the, the slow start in the first half because you'd taken the lead, right? Yeah. You got on top, you got, you, you chipped back, you were down 15, you made it, you got even with them and took the lead. And then you gave it right back.
1: Yeah, you you climbed the quote unquote mountain, uh, to put it into that terms. And yeah, I don't know what it is, right, Joe? Because you like you just said you're not a head coach. I'm not a head coach, right? We, you both and I have never played Division One right. college basketball, right? So it's it's different when we're sitting here on in our chairs talking about it or even watching at a game, right? And it's yep. it's totally different. But there needs to be some sort of like offensively, right? There has to be a system in place, right, where the offense breaks down. There has to be a play. There has to be a, a situation where we can get an easy look. I don't think that is currently there. Could that have to do with the personnel on the court? 100%, right? Like that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. That's probably a personnel issue. That also could be a coaching issue, right? So I, we get into these situations where I do think we are a better team, Joe, when we run. When we yep. go fast, like we one one of the reasons we got took the lead in that game because we forced turnovers, right? We were running, we were getting to the line, like we were doing that kind of thing, right? And obviously right. that's not sustainable through forty minutes, right? But I do think we were a better team when we push. And I also thought we should have realized, right, in the second half, St. John's was fouling a lot. St. John's over the years under uh, Chris Mullen, under uh, Mike Anderson. They've been Mike Anderson's right. This is his name, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Mike Anderson. Yeah, Mike Anderson. I don't know if I was about to say Kevin Anderson, but I don't know who that is. Mike <laughs> Anderson. They've been they've been known for being a little bit undisciplined, right? And they've been a team that likes to foul. I think obviously they're better under Rick Pitino just because Rick Pitino a way better coach than Anderson and Mullins. But we saw St. John's was fouling every time you got into the lane in that last ten minutes of the game. I thought yeah. it took way too long for our players to realize you have to find a way to get downhill because when Garway got downhill, when Pierre got downhill and went into contact, not stayed away from contact, or when Devin Carter got downhill, they either got fouled or made a layup, right? I thought that's when our offense got better, but then I we just didn't do that enough. Like we settled for too many late shot clock shots. That is just for a team that's not a shooting team or a great shooting team. That just can't be our philosophy. I think we have to find a way to get downhill on offense, Right. This team yep. should be shooting anywhere from 15 to 20 free throws a game because they have the guards that can get into the lane like Garway like Pierre like Devin Carter. I just didn't think we did that consistently enough last night.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, and speaking of, you know, shooting 20 free throws a game, if you're going to get to the free throw line and have 20 opportunities to score 20 free points, you better damn well make your free throws because yeah. in a game that's yeah. decided by 2 points when you go 11 for 21 from the charity stripe and you leave 10 points on the line that's just that's flat out unacceptable. I'm sorry. The mm-hmm. the 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 million multi-million dollar training facility, I could I could make 10 free throws if you put me on the line. And I get it, right? Like in the in the heat of the game, there's the crowd, your blood, uh, your your heart rate is up, you're exhausted. But like they're free. That it is free points. Take a breather if you're gassed on the line. Like, take a second and compose yourself. Like leaving 10 points on the line in big east play is going to kill you. <clears throat> you and I said this. God, this had to have been, you know, maybe two or three games in, Peter. We said that we are going to lose a game because of free throws. It, it, look at the box score. A, and I understand it's not that cut and dry, right? Like mm-hmm. we didn't miss free throws at the end of the game when we could have taken the lead. Like other things happened that caused us to lose the game. But in terms of just flat out missed opportunities, you had 10 free chance. You have, tw- I'm sorry. You had 21 free chances to add points to the final score and you capitalized on 11 of them.
1: And yeah.
0: ten there on the line. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 52% is unacceptable. And we are the, you sent me this, I think you sent me this tweet last week, Joe, we were at the time last week, maybe earlier this week, we're the worst free throw shooting team uh, in the conference percentage wise. I'm going to go on a limb and say that probably didn't this, this performance probably didn't help that case to get off the 11th line in free throw shooting, but it's, it's an issue, right? Like I thought Devin Carter had a great game, right? It's we're, We all know he had a great game, but seven for 12 is not particularly what you want to see out of your guards, right? Pierre no. for two can't happen. Ticket gains one for three is not great, right? Like Garway was two for two and Adoro was one for two, but Adoro is a big man, so I'm not going to blame him for three free throws as much, even though Joel Soriano made eight out of his 11, which uh, is yeah. maybe says where Joel Soriano is compared to where Josh Adoro is, but I digress there i'm also gonna play i'll play devil's advocate right joe if you're st john's if you're rick patino you were 16 for 25 right 64 a little a little bit better than the fires you make some free throws at the end of that game and we're not even talking about it being a two point game right like they may, they missed a lot of free throws down the stretch st john's especially under in under a minute there right? they missed a they missed a handful there so i'm gonna play devil's advocate there that also Gave us gave us life on the other side of the ball. It gave, it gave us yeah. life, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I could sit here and say Ticket Gaines got pushed um, on the free throw attempts before he the did. final free throw attempts, and I I do think he got pushed 100. But obviously, he, he doesn't have to get pushed if we make free throws. He can also play that game, right? Like, there's a lot of games. You can there's kind a of lot of what ifs. A lot of what ifs in college basketball. It, it always happens. But something that we could we can't control. Ref calling a push against Ticket Gaines, right? We can't control that. What we can control is shooting 11 for 21. That is on us. That has nothing to do with the refs. That is on us not making free throws. Calls are not going to go your way, Joe. Like That is just how basketball works, and it's how sports work. We see it in the National Football League all the time. But what you can control is what you do from the free throw line. And shooting 11 for 21 is probably at the top of the reasons you lost this game. It,
0: it is it, – when I wrote my little list here of like things I wanted to talk about, the number one thing on the list was free throws. I didn't want to start the podcast by saying, Hey, we suck at the free throw line. But um, to me, you you can throw out the slow start. You can throw out the 13 run and you can throw out the quote unquote, we didn't have Bryce Hopkins. You can throw all of that out because if you make those 10 free throws, none of those other three things matter because you win the game. So I I, I mean, it's, it it comes down to that, like that little frustration. Um, but again, there were some silver linings to this one. Uh, we talked about Devin Carter. He is playing at an all American elite, elite level of basketball, uh, you know, front runner for if the season ended, it ended today, he's Biggie's player of the year, um, I think another guy that played really well was Jaden Pierre. Mm -hmm. I said this to you before we started recording. I I thought last night was Pierre's best game in the Friar uniform. He had 17 points, five assists to only one turnover. He was 50% from deep and seven for 15 from the floor in 38 minutes. A really, really, really strong and composed performance from him. Um, And he, he continues to improve. Game over game, you know, since Bryce Hopkins went down.
1: Yeah. Jaden Pierre is a huge factor now, right? I think he was a huge factor when Bryce Hopkins was healthy, Joe, but now I think he's even more of a factor, right? Like he's your point guard because I do think Devin Carter is better kind of off the ball, right? Like he obviously Devin Carter can play a little point. I think he's yeah. at his best when he can play off the ball. So Jaden Pierre playing at a high level, and you and I have really, he's probably been a high, most criticized player from you and I, Jaden Pierre. It might change in a couple of minutes when we talk about another player, but Jaden Pierre has been heavily criticized by by you and I, and I think rightfully so, but five assists to one turnover, 17 points. I thought he was fluid. Uh, I thought he was good. I, one thing I would like him to change or fix, and I know it's easier said than done because I'm sitting here at my desk. I think he needs to go into contact more. Yeah. He needs to be a little more physical, and I get it. He's not Garway's height when it comes to driving into the lane, but Joel Soriano – only having two fouls. One, you probably should have had a couple more. That may be our, our ref situation, but that's also us not going into him, right? Yep, Most yep. of the time when you go into big men, they are going to clamp down on you. They're going to bring their arms down and they're kind of going to collapse on you when when they're not supposed to, because as a 6'11", 6'10 guy, you're supposed to just keep your hands arms straight up. Most of the times you're not going to get a foul call and it's still going to be a good defensive play. But a lot yep. of times they like to bring their arms down and get fouls called, and obviously it frustrates people. But I thought Pierre didn't do a good enough job of going into people. I thought he needs to be a little stop shying away from contact, right? Because contact's good, right? You're going to draw fouls. And if you make free throws, which is, I guess, easier said than done, to the fire. <laughs> if you make free throws, it helps. But I think even with a great performance, I still think he needs to be a little bit more aggressive when he goes into the lay, lane. He's good getting into the lane. But when he goes into the layup, I know he's a little bit undersized. I just think he needs to be a little more aggressive. But I did also think he shot the three well. Uh, which is a good sign.
0: Right. Uh, And I like your point about, you know, driving the lane and, and, you know, drawing contact because Jaden Pierre, you know, obviously last night he went 0 for 2 from the line, which is just, I don't know how you do that given his track record. But before that he was 100% free throw shooter on the year. Now he's 90. He's made 19 of his 21 free throws. But Mm -hmm. for a point guard in the Big East, 21 free throws, like, you got to up those numbers, buddy. You, you got to start playing downhill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a good free throw shooter,
0: right? like you said, outside of his two marks, two shots
1: from last night, which I guess happens. But no, I think he needs to be more aggressive. I I, I went on like a five-minute rant like a minute ago about how we need to get downhill more. Yeah. So, And he's one of the guys that falls into that kind of category of guys that need to get downhill more. And But no, yeah. I thought, I like you said off-air, and you said on-air as well, you play one of his – you said best games as a fryer and i definitely i definitely agree one of his better uh games as a fryer and he obviously needs to continue that heading into saturday against uh
0: Xavier. Yep. All right, keeping with the positives here. Uh ticket gains uh played all 40 minutes. He did not uh, hit the bench once. Uh i thought, you know, he had a really uh, another strong performance. 11 points, four rebounds, uh 4 of 9 from the field, 2 of 6 from deep uh what else here only one turnover so uh, an average performance i said strong but now i'm reconsidering but you know what again another guy that has stepped up offensively in the absence of hopkins uh i would really like to see ticket find his shot a little more um especially from deep but you know i I really don't have any gripes with him Mm -hmm. he plays hard he plays good defense you know very big hustle guy so i'm really I wasn't too uh, upset with his performance from last night. I thought he he provided a lot of value. Yeah, one thing I think w- w- what we have seen with the absence
1: of Bryce Hopkins is the lack of rebounding from people outside of Josh Duro and Devin Carter, right? And Ticket gains kind of falls into that, right? Because he has that yeah. slight build, right? Like he's more of a skinnier guy. He's not as thick as, I think, Bryce Hopkins was, so mm-hmm. I think he's. I think taking games. I know he had four rebounds last night, but I saw a couple sequences when he got out rebounded, right? And I think he got, kind of got pushed around a little bit down low. So I think he's going to have to find a way to be more of that tough guy down low to have because someone's going to have to replace Bryce Hopkins' rebounding, right? We talk about Bryce Hopkins' scoring, even though it was very up and down this year. We talk about Bryce Bryce Hopkins' his defense, ability, and it's definitely shown on that side of the court, but. I think his rebounding has been missed as well, especially yeah. offensive rebound and defensive rebounding as well. So I think ticket Gaines is probably one of those guys that probably has to step up rebounding, even though heading into the year, maybe that's not one of his strong suits. All of a sudden, some guys are going to have to do some things that maybe they're not fully comfortable with.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to give him credit ticket did have, I think nine rebounds against Creighton. So yeah, yeah. He, he, you can tell he's made, he had four last night. He's making an effort to do it, um, but you, you got to take into consideration matchups too, right? Like Ticket's long and has a big wingspan, but he is so skinny, so it, it's tough. But you, you, you're right; you make you make the right point that somebody's got to make up for the the rebounding hole that's been left by Bryce Hopkins, and I think Ticket, you know, is first in line behind Josh Oduro. And speaking of Josh Oduro. Uh, This, this part sucks, right? Because I said this last episode, I'll say it again. Like I like Josh, you like Josh Mm -hmm. for the first, you know, the first 90% of the season, you know, he was probably the guy that we gave the most flowers to besides Devin Carter in terms of like playing well, doing everything that you're supposed to. But the past two games and the second half at Seton Hall, I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, he just, he just, he looks like a shell of the player that he was for a majority of the season. Um, and he, at times just looks entirely overwhelmed by the level of competition. Ryan Kalkbrenner took his lunch money on Saturday at Creighton. And, you know, Soriano, I'm not going to say he took his lunch money, but Soriano gave him fits last night too. And the, the little post hook that he's been so good at and so consistent with is starting to, you know, come up short or be too strong. And it looks like he's forcing his shot a little bit. So I I don't know what's wrong with Josh, but uh, we need him to get back to the level that he was at. If we want to start winning basketball games, because it can't just be Devin Carter.
1: Yeah. No, hundred percent. It definitely cannot just be Devin Carter and company. Um, I've been one of the, one of the advocates this season, especially on this podcast, Joe, and I think you, you have well, um, mm-hmm. talked about Josh Adoro needs to get the ball. Right. And like the offense needs to go through Josh Adoro in a sense of where he yep. needs to touch the ball. Because when I said that a couple weeks ago, he was playing really good basketball and he was shooting eight for 12 or nine for 13 or whatever it was. Right. Dropping 15, 16 points a game, having eight, nine rebounds. And he was playing really good basketball. Thinking uh, like, uh, one of the best big men in the big east,
0: but then the big yes, east
1: humble, right? Like the big east, big east shows their true side of themselves when you step onto the court and you face some of these big men, right? And I don't I think Kalkbriner had a better game than Soriano did against Adoro. His touch isn't there right now. I still think he's been fine defensively, like, I don't think he's been bad defensively. I don't know if he's been great defensively. Um, he definitely offers a bigger post presence. With physicality than Rafael Castro does, even though I thought yeah. Rafael Castro played pretty well last night, we just saw he it did. just eventually Rafael Castro is just going to phase out just because he doesn't have the bill to play against Soriano. It just in that type of matchup, and I think Adoro does. The problem is for Adoro, two for eight, right? Like his touch has completely gone away, and it's it's starting to become a big concern because if he doesn't, and I don't want to sound like all doom and gloom here. But if he doesn't figure it out, and there's a lot of pressure on him. But if he doesn't figure it out, this team's not going anywhere, right? Like it's that's it's it's a pretty simple thing there. He was too straight from the field, had no offensive touch, and the fact that he took two free throws is an issue. He took two free throws. He needs to find a way to get to the line. There was a couple times when he was down low and he kicked it out, and I thought he should have went up with it. So he clearly isn't himself at the moment. Uh, He needs to find a way. Uh, to kind of get get a get a get right game, right? And I think Saturday against Xavier, who a team with not Zach Fremantle, thank God, <laughs> like, thank God they don't have Zach Freemantle because you there will be an issue. But a team that is one Xavier struggling, two they don't have a, a legit post presence, right? I think that's the game where he has to get back on track because this team and we can all we can all criticize them, we can all hate on Josh Adoro and all that stuff, but. He is so important to the success of this team because when he's been struggling the last yep. couple of games,
0: we have lost. So. Yeah. No, you, you make all great points. Um, You know, nobody wants to criticize or call attention to his shortcomings recently, but you know, you, you have to, because if you look ahead, you know, we're, we're, one fourth of the way through the conference schedule. We've played five games. There's 15 left to be played. Josh has shown up for two of them. So you see the difference here. And obviously Bryce is gone and a lot of things have changed. So it's not just him, but he is a difference maker. Um, And there are teams in the conference that don't have these big, powerful Donovan Kling and Ryan Klockbrenner, Joel Soriano, big men where Josh can get it going, but When you're slumping like like this, the the first thing you have to do is get out of it. You got to fix what's wrong before you can start focusing on, you know, where you can take advantage. So Josh needs to get right game. I think you're right. Xavier presents a a whole boatload of opportunity with the lack of lack of front court depth that they have. Um, Just rounding out the rest of the role players here um, and, role player shouldn't even be the word to, to, to use to describe him, but Corey Floyd jr. Started played 10 minutes, went 0 for two from the field and had three turnovers with zero points. Um, that's just, I like Corey Floyd, but that's just flat out unacceptable. Um, we have, we know that he can play better than this, right? We saw him last year play better than this. We've seen him this year play better than this. And yet he, he was essentially invisible last night other than um, when he threw the basketball at the St. John's guy after he pushed him, that was pretty funny um, and entertaining, but it really provided no value to the game other than getting a technical foul and, and sending St. John's to the line. So Corey Floyd needs to find his shot. Uh, I don't know if he, if he has to start finding opportunities for himself or forcing it a little bit, but taking only two shots and only one from deep when we know that he's capable of more is it, it, just, not great. Um, You know, Castro off the bench. I thought Castro was pretty good. Uh, you, you teased this when we were talking about Josh, but Castro didn't really do anything wrong. Yeah. He didn't really do anything right. He had that, uh, he had the alley-oop and I think he had a block on Soriano or that might've been ticket, but
1: yeah, I think that was him. That was, that was Castro.
0: Yeah. So I thought Castro played fine and I saw a tweet before. I think it was fired up and apologies if that's not the right person, but I think it was fired up the burner account that tweeted like Castro looked good. Just like, just don't give him the ball, right? Like if you want to keep him out there, just don't give him the basketball and he's fine. And it's funny, but it's like a hundred percent true because if you don't, if you don't post him up, right. Like Mm -hmm. you just keep him out there for defense and to, to swat at shots, like then he's fine. Like you don't give him the opportunity to turn the ball over. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Garway Dual, thirty-three minutes played off the bench. He had four assists, seven points, perfect from the stripe. Only took four shots, went fifty percent. Uh, I thought he, he had a really good game too. Uh, you and I were talking about this off off air that he just he needs to to find his shot a little bit more because he can provide more than he's currently doing. Uh, but in terms of ball handling and court vision, you know, finding guys, he, he's doing a really great job.
1: I. I'm very excited about Garway, right? Like, I don't know if it's I'm excited about Garway this year or more excited about Garway next year. And I, should we look from a year from now? Probably not, right? Like, obviously, we're in this season. But I think, and I said, I, you, I agree with you, Joe. I said off air, I think when Garway gets aggressive and when he realizes he has a lot of talent and when he gets downhill, he's really hard to stop. I just think sometimes he's looking to pass the ball when he gets the ball back to Pierre or back to Devin Carter. Mm-hmm. Garley, oh, it's okay, man. Like, look, I'm not telling you to take 20 shots. Like, I'm not, don't go crazy. But play, play in yourself because I think when he gets aggressive and when he gets downhill, he's, one, hard to stop. He's faster than most guards. And, two, he has NBA length. So when he goes into the Sorianos of the world or the riders or the Klingons, right, he can go up into them because he has the length and he has that crazy wingspan that he has. So I think he needs to be more aggressive. And we saw one, obviously, we know he's a great defender, right? Like that's that was one of his things. We, we knew right away he was go, always going to be a good defender, right? Offense takes time sometimes when it comes to these kids. And so he gives you great defense on that side of the court. But when he plays in himself, I think he's really good. I think he needs to be on the court more. And he was last night, right? Like 33 minutes he was on the court a ton out of the 40 minutes of gameplay. But one last yeah. thing with Corey Floyd, Joe. I know uh, we don't want to go too long, and I know we got to – touch on Xavier before we get out of here, but one thing or Corey Ford Jr., right? He needs, I don't know what's wrong, right? Like once a high, really high recruit, four-star, once a UConn commit, a guy that we have had huge expectations heading into this year hasn't really found himself on the offensive side of the ball, right? Back-to-back games that he started that he had zero points. That's a problem. Because one, I think one, Kim English realized it really fast, which is why he only played 10 minutes in this game. But that's it's a little unacceptable at that at this point. And now with the absence of Hopkins, he becomes way more important. Um, he needs to find some sort of rhythm offensively. But it, it probably sounds like his minutes are gonna be cut, I, I would expect, on against Xavier, because they were cut on uh Wednesday night against the Johnnies.
0: Yeah, and, and to compare, right? Like, if Garway is going to give you thirty-three quality minutes, where he's providing, you know, it might not—he might not be stuffing the scoring column of the staff, the stat sheet, but four assists is good. Like, he's a really good defender. He's athletic. He has good handles. Right? He helps you with the press breaker. If Garway is going to provide that value to you, and Corey Floyd is really not going to provide anything. I, and, and maybe that's not fair because he still is a good defender, but if the offense isn't there and he's turning the ball over, then, you know, Kim might be inclined to go with Garway. I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe, you know, there is a mindset shift. I said that on purpose. Maybe there's a mindset shift uh, this week in practice following the, th- the three-game skid, but who knows, you know?
1: Yeah no I I think we I think we kind of saw last night Joe it yeah. kind of foreshadowed uh where we're probably going with the plan yeah, yeah I, well could Floyd start on Saturday yeah uh, sometimes starting is not the most important thing well if we don't want to start down 15 but what I mean sometimes a starting <laughs> lineup is not as important as I think people want to make it out to be right uh because Floyd started played 10 minutes garway didn't play 33 right like at the end right. of the day it's how many minutes you play, not who started right and who plays down the stretch uh right. but they have to go to garway more because i think he gives you defensive ability that you probably you are lacking without bryce Hopkins. and i think if he can get a little aggressive offensively we saw last night with seven points he had four assists only had one turnover right like he can be a really good basketball player for this team
0: yeah absolutely um all right, closing out on the St. John's game, Friars uh, fall to the Johnnies, 73-75. They currently sit at 2-3 and three in Big East play, 11-5 and five overall. Uh, some more silver linings that come out of last night. Butler picks up a huge road win over 11th-ranked Marquette, which drops Marquette, uh, you know, with all the tiebreakers and whatnot, to 8th l- in the conference, uh, which is, you know, kind of disturbing given all of the early season, you know, aspirations for the golden Eagles pro um, on top of Marquette at seventh is Butler. And at sixth is the Friars. All three of those teams are 11 and five overall and two and three in conference. Uh, the reason I say that's a silver lining is because Providence lost last night. And in the bit, in terms of the conference standings, nothing really changed. So Butler did us a favor. Um, On top of us, in sole possession of fifth place, is Creighton. On top of them is Villanova. And then there is a three-way tie at the top of the league, just like everybody expected between Seton Hall, Connecticut, and St. John's. Woof. All right. On Saturday, the Xavier Musketeers come to Providence uh, in what should be a very interesting matchup between... Two very desperate teams that are spiraling. Xavier is in the middle of a one and three skid right now, with their only win being a twenty point victory at home over Seton Hall. Uh, their biggies losses include at Saint John's, at Villanova by one point, and against Connecticut at home. Xavier is under five hundred on the year. They are seven and eight. They are one in three in conference. Uh, this is a Xavier team that looks a little bit different than I think people had originally expected. They lost Zach Fremantle. They lost uh, Jerome Hunter in the offseason. Obviously, a couple of other guys graduated, but uh, you know, they're a team that primarily runs through Quincy Oliveri and Desmond Claude, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Uh, Sean Miller is a good coach, and the Musketeers swept the season series against Providence last year. But you know these are two different teams now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Sean Miller is a great coach, right? Like we saw what he did at Arizona, and I think he's done a solid job at Xavier. But this is probably not the team that Xavier fans had envisioned heading into the year. Mm-hmm. More importantly, Zach Fremantle is not playing, right? One of the best big men in the Big East. And this team's seven and eight, right? Like they struggled in non con. Obviously, nobody's gonna fault you for losing to Purdue, Washington, those type of teams, but they have losses to Oakland and Delaware, both solid teams, but you're Xavier. You got to win those games, right? Uh, but the one and three in Big East, they're in desperate need for a Big East for a Big East win. I would say this would be a trap game, but at the point, the Friars are not in the position to lose a trap game. Like we're not. If we were four and two in conference or whatever, four and one in conference, right? I would be like, this is a trap game, Joe. We're four and one in conference. We're playing good, playing hot. We're not right. Like we're two and three, so there's no trap game anymore. This is like this is not a trap game. Not a trap game, uh, it'd be a trap game if they were playing at UConn or something like that, but for UConn. But look, I agree, they run through two guys. This is a two man show in Olivieri and Claude. Olivieri's averaging 18, Claude's averaging 14. Those are the two guys, and it hasn't been enough this year. This is a game that the Friars have to win, and I don't, it's tough to say that at this point because we're still in January. But they, they're at the point where they have to win games. Be, just because it's at home, it's a team that is worse than you on paper, even with the injury versus Hopkins. This is also a Josh Adoro game. Josh Adoro should win this matchup. And this is a type of game where he can kind of get a str- uh, stride back. And a win on Saturday goes a long way into this momentum because you have DePaul on the horizon. I'm not trying to look past DePaul, but it's DePaul at this point. So I think a win on Saturday – Joe goes a long way here. And I do think this matchup on paper and just what I've watched from the the couple games I've watched of Xavier and obviously the games I've
0: watched of Providence, I think this favors Providence. I agree with you. Um, I say that hesitantly because we said the same thing about Seton Hall and then they beat us at home. So I am less confident than I think I should be just because of the way that Providence has been playing of late. Um, Actually, that's not fair. Providence has been playing, has been showing a lot of heart lately. They've just been losing the games. Um, but again, right, like when you lose Hopkins, when you lose that front court presence and there's inconsistencies across the the entire 40-minute game, you know, sometimes it takes heart and grit and, and determination to climb yourself into contention for a win. So I, I think it's going to be a closely contested game. I don't think either team runs away with it. But like you said, Peter, let's look at the next four games in a vacuum, right? Providence is two and three. They're under five hundred in conference play. There is a very real opportunity over the next four matchups to not only go back above five hundred, but to do so convincingly. Um you've got Xavier at home, a Xavier team that's spiraling. You go on the road to a DePaul team that just flat out sucks. There's no other way to put it. You go on the road at Seton Hall. There should be a, a high level of a high sense of urgency for that game just because Seton Hall beat you at home. So you, you're probably going to want to trade home uh, road victories with them. Mm-hmm. And then Georgetown comes to, to town and just, you know, you know, take all the coolie stuff out of it. You can't lose that game because Georgetown is all, also terrible, like DePaul. You can't lose to them at home either. So, yeah.
1: No, no, no. Yeah, just quickly touch on that. Yeah, those four games I said off air, you have to win three. I don't know what three of those games are. You got to win three, Joe, because I think if you win three, what where, where would that place you, five and four in conference? Did I do that quick math right? Yeah. Yeah, you'd be five. And, yeah. You win three, you go five and four, you're over 500. That's fine. You're right back into the NCAA tournament picture, 100%. You and- – You lose two out of four, then you're you're dicing, and obviously if you go four and zero, then we're back to five and three, and obviously you're back into the top of the Big East and fighting for seeding in the Big East tournament. But look, everything's in front of the fire still at the moment, right? It's not like yeah we need help or anything. Everything's still in front of them, but obviously it starts with Saturday with the with Xavier because you have to get back into the win column, and it's also at home, so you have to get a home win here.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I I normally. Anybody who's listened to the podcast, you know, well into our fourth year here, you know, I hate playing the what ifs game. But when one of your star players goes down with an ACL injury and then, you know, a three game losing streak ensues from that, you're kind of forced to look for the silver linings and play the what if game. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, there's no moral victories here. You know, we are what our record says we are 11 and five, two and three overall. We lost three games straight. We need wins. That that's basically what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you got, and obviously it starts Saturday. And I think if you look at Saturday's game, I think Josh Adoro is the main factor. I think Devin, obviously Devin Carter. You're facing the Xavier team that is kind of reeling at the moment. So is Providence at the moment. Uh I think I, I would probably give the the edge to the home team. But they gotta come out and you gotta you gotta go you gotta go find a way to win a basketball game
0: this weekend. One game at a time. Yep, you are right. Um, all right, that is going to, I think, do it from us here at the 40 minute mark. Um, as a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house enterprise.com, to get in on the fun and support our great stable of content creators. Providence plays Xavier this Saturday, and I just closed out of the freaking tab, so now i got to pull it back open. Uh, that game is at 2 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. You'll be hearing from us Tuesday morning of the following week. Uh, for Peter DiBiase, I'm Joe Howie. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Friars. Go Friars.